All right, we are going to launch a little three-part series uh, to finish up August, uh, and it's focusing on love. And I was trying to figure out what to call this, and the song that kept coming to my mind was, I want to know what love is by Foreigner, right? Like, I love that. I can still hear it in my mind right now, but there are so many songs about love, right, that you can just think about. Like, what is love? I'm not going to sing them. Like, <laughs> what is love? You know, all of these different songs. You know, half of Beatles' album are about love. You know, U2, Desire, all these kind of songs that just start popping into your head when you think about love. Because love is a huge topic in our culture, in our world, and in our lives. It's not something that is foreign to us, something that we don't come across. We've experienced it in family. We've experienced it in relationships. We've experienced it maybe in a, in a marriage relationship or with children or with family You know, we've experienced love maybe a thousand different ways. And I imagine most of us in here, if we ask ourselves what it means to love someone or something, we would start with some common answers. Uh, But we would diverge in thought pretty quickly as we got maybe deeper into the subject. Because loving and being loved is a very deep topic that can bring up drastically different feelings in each of us. And Jesus often talked about how to love, who to love, and why to love. Love has always been at the very center of the message of Jesus. And this center, this series will challenge us to better understand how to love the way Jesus did, even when it's not easy. Specifically in this, in his teachings, Christ highlighted three objects of love that should make us distinctive as his followers. And these are the three commands that we're going to look at over the next three weeks. And it's first of all, to love the Lord, then to love others as your neighbors, and then finally to love your enemies. Each of these carry their own obstacles, challenges, and reward, but each are important because of Christ's love for us and the way we experience that love. These then should begin to naturally flow from our own hearts, to love the Lord, love others, and then even love our enemies. And I love, I wish I could say up here like, Here's a little buffet. Just pick which one you want, right? I'll love the Lord. That's, that's the one I'll take. Or other, my neighbors are okay. Or, you know, enemies, nobody's going to take that one, right? So it reminded me of like, we used to play, ba- when I played baseball growing up, like if the reward for me was like going to eat pizza buffet afterwards. And we'd go up to the pizza buffet and they would have 10 different kinds of pizzas out there. But you know, the one that every 10-year-old kid wanted was the pepperoni one. I'm like, why can't you guys just make all pepperoni? You're like, that's the one we're all going for. And if you didn't get there in time, you know, there was no pepperoni. You had to get the weird meat pizza or the veggie pizza that nobody wanted. And then you would sit and keep an eye on the kitchen door to keep an eye out when they were going to bring the hot pepperoni out and you make a run for it. And a lot of times we treat commands like this of God as that I only want this one. But these three intertwine together, and they really create a distinctive about who we are as followers of Christ with our ability to love God, love our neighbors as ourselves, and then love even our enemies. But before we jump into this topic of loving the Lord today, I want to make sure we're on the same page, a couple of thoughts when it comes to demonstrating love. First is this, the reason that we are able to love the Lord, our neighbors, and our enemies is not by our own natural ability. It is birthed in us when you and I experience the love of God in our own lives through Christ. In my natural way of thinking, the only Lord that I really want to show love and respect to is usually me. 
right? I like to be the center of the tension, the object of love. For most of us, it isn't difficult to love ourselves or place ourselves at the central figure of our own lives or even the lives of others. It also isn't natural for us to love our neighbors, right? Now, it may not be difficult for us to, to be neighborly to each other, to get to know others in our lives and those that we become friends with and we might even begin to show love. But our heart, without the heart change, but without the heart change that comes through a surrender to Christ, as soon as those relationships maybe begin to cost us or become difficult and we have to sacrifice for one another, as soon as someone doesn't see things the way I do, then love kind of flies out the window. And of course, it isn't natural to love your enemies, right? That would even be viewed as maybe a type of weakness. How, why would you love someone that is fighting against you? So, while we may at times be able to change attitudes and behaviors to show love or deference to the Lord or to others, or and sometimes even to our enemies, to actually love them is not in our DNA. Instead, the ability to show true love to God and others comes when we have fully experienced the love of God in our own lives. It comes when we experience the sacrificial love of God, the unending love of of God, the unconditional love of God, and the unchanging love of God. And as that comes through us, then there's an awareness of who God is, and a repentance to God, and then a surrender to God. And that's how we're able to then express that love. But the second thing I want us to be able to be on the same page of, of understanding, is that showing this kind of love of being able to love the Lord, love others, and love your enemies is not a means of salvation, but instead is an expression of the salvation that you and I have experienced. It'd be very easy in this series to get caught up in the idea that I have to love God a certain way or love others, show a certain amount of love to other people or even my enemies and to do so to be accepted by Jesus. This would create a type of, type of salvation that is dependent upon me instead of dependent upon God. And I want to be clear that according to the teachings of Christ, there is nothing that you and I can do to earn salvation or even earn his love. It is freely given to us. But he also teaches that once we have truly experienced that love, then new fruit will begin to show up in our lives, and that fruit is love what he says in John 13, 35, he says that people will know that you are my disciples by the fact that you love one another. Like, so I, I want you to be clear, this, this is not some man-made thing that we can do. So there's going to be times in this teaching that it will be frustrating because it will go against what you naturally feel. And this, those are times when you have to say, okay, maybe, that, maybe that's where I need to experience more of the love of God. Maybe when I you know, I, it's hard for me to love my enemies because I think God hates me when I sin instead of understanding that he responds still in love. And I need to go deeper in that understanding of love. So where you find yourself struggling maybe to express love, say, am I truly experiencing love from God in that way? And then don't get caught up in making this a to-do list so that if I do these things, if I can love God this way, love others this way, and love my enemies, then I am fine. I've got my ticket to heaven punched, and I'm in, and I'm good. It's not that. It is an expression of the change that has happened in you. And so this is what we want. The key idea is you have to first surrender to the love of Christ, and then let that love naturally flow through you back to God and back to others. It's this cycle in our lives. So let's jump into it today. And 
the first way that we're actually going to going to know what love is is the idea of learning to to know what it means to love the Lord. And there's a passage we're going to look at uh, come that is actually birthed out of the the passage that Kit read from Deuteronomy uh, this morning. But the context of this this passage we're going to look at in Mark is this idea. Uh, Jesus is sitting down with the scribes and lawyers and teachers, and they have been firing questions at him all day, trying to trip him up, trying to get him caught maybe in his own words or in a lie or something that they could, you know, say is blasphemous and and arrest him for because they're not liking who he is. And he has answered everything wisely so far. And then they come with like the big question, the hammer. And like we can get him maybe caught on this one. And this is where we pick it up in Mark 12, verse 28. And it says this. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, had answered them well, he asked him. Here comes the big question. Which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered him saying, the most important is this. And he quotes Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This response right here is Jesus actually quoting one of the most common and powerful prayers of the Jewish people. And it's called the Shema. And it's actually found in what we read in Deuteronomy 6. And it has a lot of meaning packed into his words. The the Shema, which is the Hebrew word for listen, is the centerpiece of the last speech Moses gave to Israelites before they went down into the promised land. After entering the promised land, the Shema became a prayer that the Israelites Israelites prayed twice daily. And I'm going to invite Kirk to come down for a minute. If you'll turn on the red mic, because Kirk knows this in Hebrew. And so you heard it a minute ago in English. And so Kirk, come on down. He he, he mentioned he knew this to me. And so I'm going to, I called him out on this. Uh, Kirk has a Jewish background, knows Hebrew. And I thought it would be cool that you hear in Hebrew what is spoken at the beginning and the end of each day that this prayer that we're going to study today is. So, Kirk, you got it, man. Just the beginning. You go for it, yes. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you. Good job. Um, And that is the prayer that would be prayed every day at the beginning and end of the day. In the Shema, God's people are called to devote their whole body, mind, feelings, and desires, as well as their future and their failures to God. This is the kind of love we're going to look at more deeply today because it switches how we look at loving God. Because the truth is this, I I get caught in this trap often. We often talk about the things we love about God, right? I, I remember growing up in a youth group and we'd be in a worship time, and we'd be in a, you know, they'd start playing the instrumental and the worship leader would be like, everybody, you know, yell out something that you love about God. And we'd start yelling, oh, it's grace, it's mercy, it's forgiveness. And it's great. All those things are great. And I'm glad we love all those things about God. But the truth is that there's a question that we ask ourselves, how do we then express our love back to him? This is what this command is challenging us to do, not to just realize we are loved by God and the good things he pours into our lives, but to love him back, not for his sake, but for our own. So imagine if all I ever did with my wife, Katie, was told her how much I loved her because of what she did for me. Thank you for cooking me dinner. 
Thank you for washing my clothes. Thank you for taking care of the kids. Thank you for doing that. Like, that's nice. It's appreciative of her, but I am not reciprocating love back to her. I'm acknowledging it, but I'm not expressing love by doing and loving her in return. And this is what this passage, this prayer, the Shema is all about. It's about how do we begin to not just receive the love of God, but begin to express it. Shared love is not just received, it is also given. So with the rest of our time together, I want to take a quick look at four ways that Jesus emphasizes here that we are to demonstrate and express our love to God. Not just experience it, but express our love to God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? We're to love God with a whole heart. The, the word lev in Hebrew means is heart in Hebrew, and it wasn't just a, a body part for the Israelites, right? He's not just talking about this physical heart that beats within us. They have a broader understanding of heart than, uh, than maybe we do, and they thought that the heart as an organ, is what gives physical life, and it is a place where you think, make sense of the world, where you feel emotions, and make decisions. The idea of loving the Lord with your heart comes down to a key concept, and it's desire. Desire. A love from the heart is the idea that we want to be with somebody. We can't wait to see them. We can't wait to spend time with them. This is an overwhelming desire above all else. I remember when Katie and I first started dating, like, you know, we could sit on the phone for hours and like talk about things. And then we would just sit and like, you know, you want to hang up first? No, you want to hang up first? You know, back and are you still there? And I could hear breathing, you know, you, you know, it's like, we just were spending time together because that's what brought us joy, even over a phone in person, just being together, this pass, a passion, desire of being with and around someone. There's a passage that David wrote in the Psalms that describes this feeling in Psalm 63. And just listen to this. It says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise your lips with joyful praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. It's like a love letter, isn't it? This desire just to be in the presence of God. I, I would dare say that many of us, for many of us, this kind of overwhelming desire for God may seem a little foreign. I mean, we enjoy God. We like him a lot. We'd even say that we, we love him. But when's the last time that our soul has thirsted for him, that our flesh fainted at the thought of him, that we were overwhelmed When's the last time you couldn't sleep at night because we couldn't stop thinking about who God is and what he's done for us? Where does this desire come from? How, do we, how could we write something like Psalms 63? And I think it only comes when we fully surrender to God. This idea of surrender. 
Because what we do is we often follow God in a tempered way, right? Just enough. Like, you know, I'll I'll do some and this and that. I kind of temper how much I'll follow God. I'll make him part of my life. But a tempered following of Christ will never create desire. Instead, it creates frustration. Remember, we we had this water park growing up uh, in Georgia called Whitewater. And, uh, you know, this big wave pool. There was a big uh, little river going around, slides everywhere. And there were this group of girls, I remember, would always come. We had season pass. And we'd go, this group of girls would sit, like, by the little lazy river there, and they didn't want to get wet. They're at a water park, and they didn't want to get wet. So what do you think me and my brother did when we went by them? We would splash them, you know, and they'd scream at us and get mad and stuff like this. But I'm like, you're at a water park. Like, you're here to get wet. Why would you come to a water park to stay away from water? And the same is true often in our lives. Why would you enter into a relationship with God the Creator to only keep Him at a distance at some point? Why not dive in fully? Dive into the deep end. Have a desire to experience the fullness of God. And when we don't, when we end up just trying to get a little wet, not in, you know, just sprinkle ourselves, it ends up being frustrated. We end up being frustrated instead of fulfilled. So that's what it means to love the Lord with all your heart, right? To have this desire that's caused by a surrender to fully make yourself available to him. The second way it says to love is with your soul, right? In, in English, a soul usually refers to this non-material essence of the human that survives after death. But that concept would be entirely foreign to the author, authors of the Old Testament who wrote the original Shema. Biblically, uh, what they would believe is that people don't have a soul They are a soul. They are what they would call a nefesh, a living, breathing, physical being. In the Shema, to to love the Lord with your soul is to offer your entire being with all its capabilities and limitations in an effort to love God. Do you see how this builds on the desire and the surrender now with your soul? It's like now you offer this. You've waded deep into the pool, and now you're loving him with your soul and maybe the idea that we can hold on to is that the idea of understanding this is being soulmates with God, our creator. And thinking that we get to do life together. This is not something we show up on Sunday, get a little bit of God, and then try to live out of it for the week, and then make it back here, get a little bit more, and then live out of it. No, this is that we get to do every moment of life together, fully together. To love God with your soul means that you begin to desire the things he desires. Your passions begin to line up with his passions. And it doesn't mean that you lose your self-identity or become a robot or have to fit a certain mold. It just means that when we love someone with all of our soul, sometimes we do strange things. Sometimes things that we would have never considered doing before or see as completely normal now. Katie has started a few years ago picking up knitting, right? I'm not, I don't knit, but I know a lot about knitting now just by watching her knit. I know terms and things like that. I can see on her face, like when she goes, it used to bother me every time she'd go, oh man, I messed up. I'm thinking, did you ruin the whole thing? Like in that one moment? Now now I've learned the difference between like, oh, I messed up and like now she's throwing it in the trash, you know? And so we're we're learning those just little things that I didn't know about. We grew up in, in different faith backgrounds. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. She grew up in a Catholic church. And I remember the first time we went to each other's church, like I'm at the Catholic church. 
I got no idea. I feel like we're doing exercises, you know, standing, sitting, kneeling. They've got scripts. They're talking to each other. I don't even know what to say. She shows up at my Baptist church, and at the end, they do this come forward invitation, and she's thinking I'm about to take her and drag her in front of the church and make her start talking about God or something. We had all these different things, but as we did life together, we, you know, we came to understandings and how our souls connected, and this happens with God as well. The desires of God become the desires of our heart. It's not that we have to lose who we are, but we gain. It adds to that. And this is what we see in 2 Samuel 6, 12 through 16. David here is coming back. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to uh, Israel. And here's what happens. It said, David went to bring the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, which is basically his underwear, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. While, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with sounds of trumpets. And as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, which was his wife, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in his heart. I, I see here two very different views of what it means to fully love God with your soul. David, who's willing to dance in one way is called an undignified way, right? Undignified. Not worrying about how he looks. And Michael's looking and judging at how this person is so abandoned to God. And the truth is, you and I, I often find myself in Michael's situation. I look at somebody and I'm like, too much, too much spirituality. Pull it back a notch, right? Too much. Where I, I need to remind myself, no, let go. Let go. Take in more. Like, let, let our souls be connected with our Creator. And how do we do this? If the first was with surrender, then this comes with submission. A willingness to submit and say, you know what? I'm willing to have my desires shaped by you. To, to start loving things and experiencing things in a different way way. It comes with submission. When we stop looking at God as a killjoy in our life and instead looking at him as the source of joy in our life. Which brings us to the third way to love him which was with our, our mind. Right? The word here that is used by Jesus for mind means deep thought or a proper exercise. And these are key words. Proper exercise of the imagination, the mind, and understanding. It is the idea of searching, pursuing, or digging deep into thought to better understand who God is and who we are in relation to him. I'm so happy that this is included in this list because what this means is that we have the freedom and are encouraged in how we do this experience his love is to explore. Explore. We get to explore the depths of who God is. We have the freedom to ask questions, even the difficult questions of God. When we don't understand something, when we can't see the reason behind something, when we don't feel loved, accepted, or cared for, when we don't, we don't have to sit back and keep our mouths shut. Instead, we are encouraged to ask, to explore the depths of God's character, and in doing so, allow him to prove his love, grace, and peace to us. As we continue to see this played out in David's life, we, we read Psalm 63, which is this love letter, beautiful letter to God, but Psalms 13 is a, a letter of questions that he asked for God. And it says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. And lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I think I actually connect better with this psalm than Psalm 63. Because there's days I want to be like, God, what the heck? What's going on? Like, why, why, why am I feeling this way? Why is this coming to my life? Why? Boom, boom, boom. Question, 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 question. And I'm grateful that David ends here with, he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. I will, I will explore this with you, God. These were not questions of accusation. These were questions of inquisition saying, give me ideas. I want to struggle through this with you. Loving God and placing your faith in him doesn't mean that we can't ask questions of him. God doesn't tell us, call us to a blind faith. He calls us to a saving faith that gives us the freedom to explore this relationship. And this is honestly how a relationship grows and how it's strengthened, how it's deepened by exploring challenges of life together. What if when you became married, that was the extent of you got to know your spouse that moment? Like marriage, that day of the wedding vows was like, we're done. This is it. Now we have to go through life with only this knowledge of each other, right? Every marriage would fail if that was the case. And it's probably why many do fail. But the truth is that consummation of that relationship is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of growth and challenges and knowledge of each other and the expansion of knowledge. And we often, I think, think salvation or coming into a relationship with God is like, okay, I'm done. I've did it. Now I just got to do the things he tells me to do. And no. It is to walk through the depths of doubt together, to walk through the challenges of life together. And how do we do this? It comes with trust, trust, to trust God enough to ask him the tough questions instead of just walking away, instead of just walking away, which brings us to the final way to love and is to love God with your, all your strength. Interestingly, in the Bible, this is the only place the word for strength, which is moed, is actually translated as strength. Everywhere else, it actually means very or much. So it, like, you could almost translate to love God with your very much. And that just doesn't make sense. So they put strength, uh, you know, and it's an adverb that intensifies the meaning of the other words. And while it may, may sound funny, to love God with all your strength is to love him with all, with as much muchness as you can. It means to love God with everything that you have, devoted every possibility, opportunity, and capacity to honor God. This is the expression of it. The muchness, the, the very nature of who you are is now how you live it out. This means that the desire that we've been developing, the way that we've been going through life together and exploring the depths of this relationship begin to show itself in how we live our lives and how we live with a new and different resolve. It's a resolve that we're living because of how we've been growing a love for God out of a desire and doing it together and exploring it. We begin to see this again in David's life, even at an early age. The Israelites are fighting the Philistines. There's a giant out in front of them, taunting them, calling out, you know, saying things about their God and their people. 
and everyone's shrieking away. No one's standing against this giant with resolve until David shows up and he's like, who, who is this that he speaks against our God? And he didn't just get angry about it. He did something. And in 1 Samuel 17, 45, it says this. He goes out to meet the Philistine and he says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the enemies of Israel, who you have defiled, defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give your carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And that's exactly what happened in the story, right? David, this to me is not, it wasn't David's boldness with a slingshot that's the true key to the story. It's this part right here, this resolve that he had to go stand out by himself in the midst of a huge giant. Overwhelming, but he had enough resolve because of his love for God to actually follow through on what God had promised him. The great stories of the Bible aren't because the men and women of the Bible had some great abilities or special attributes that we don't have access to today. Instead, it came because they had great resolve. They let their desire to explore life together with God shape the way they thought and acted. Moses wasn't a great man, but he had a great resolve to follow God to free Israel from slavery. Esther wasn't a great woman, but she had a great resolve to act and ask the king for mercy for the Jewish people. The disciples weren't great men, but they lived with great resolve to spread the message of Christ around the world. How does this happen? It comes when we live a life of abandonment abandon. When we stop allowing men or women to define success for us and instead allow God to define it for us. Stop measuring ourselves against the wealth of the world or the wealth of people or the influence of man or woman and instead by the fact that we are known and worthy and created by God and abandon our comparison mindset and be understand that we are complete in who we are in God. This is how we are to love God, with all of these things. With a heart that has a desire for him, with a soul that longs to be together with him, with a mind that's willing to explore with him, and with a strength that will act out of resolve for him. But the problem comes when we don't engage all of these, right? When we take one or two pieces that we want from the buffet instead of loving him with all of these, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because the truth is, if we try to act with resolve, love with resolve, without embracing the desire to explore life with our Savior, we can end up just being a legalist, right? Just, I'm gonna, here's the five things you gotta do, and if you don't do these things, you're out. That's where that can lead if you're not embracing the others. Or if we just try to explore who God is, without a desire to know him and act on his behalf, we can become elitist, right? I can know everything about God, I can study every detail, I can read every book there is about him, and I can have all the answers but not really know him. And I become elitist. Or if we just want to be together with God, right? Just hang out. Let's just hang out, God. Let's just hang out. You know, that kind of mindset. We don't really push to know him in deeper ways or great desire or really challenge that thought. We become shallow. We have no true depth in our longing for Christ. And when things get a little difficult, we're like, Let me, it's not as fun to hang out with you anymore. Let me go hang out with somebody else who's a little more fun. And then the, finally, if you have this desire, right? We just have this 
David desire out of Psalm 63 to just desire to be with God, but we don't really want to actually have it impact our lives or struggle through it, then we just become a hypocrite, right? We can say, well, I want you more than anything, God, but oh, look at this, and I'm over here, and I'm doing, we're not allowing it to take depth and root in our life. The call is to love God with all these things, to get all the wheels spinning, engage fully in your life, and they will, and then your life will change. Which brings us to the question of the day. In what area do you need to grow your love for God? Again, this is not a means of salvation, as we talked earlier. It's not, you got to grow it so that you, you know, can please God, and maybe God will be nice to you and let you into heaven one day. It's, we grow it out of us, the fact that we are giving ourselves to him, and we're experiencing the love of God. Do you need to surrender? Are you celebrating in God's presence? Are you letting go of your individual life and taking up the desire for the things of God? Do you need to step into submission? Are you connecting to God's presence, letting go of doing life by yourself and instead of embracing the idea of doing life together with God? Do you need to step into trust, grow into trust? Are you searching uh, and questioning the depths of God's character, letting go of the idea that we can't know God at a deeper level and instead explore who God is and find the answers we're looking for? Do you need to grow and abandon? Are you allowing God to direct your actions, letting go of the hold of others have on you and the expectations that this world places on you and instead living with resolve to see the truths of God made known and whole in your life. Today, my challenge to you is this, to intentionally love the Lord. This day, today, tomorrow, this week, rise daily and say, today I will love the Lord. I desire him. I want to do today with him. I want to explore with him today and to live with resolve in every moment. We you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Again, remember it's easy to say I love you, God, for the things you do for me. But today would you switch up the thought just a little bit and tell God that you want to love him in return with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Father, it is without question how much you love us, how much you show love for us, you demonstrate it. God, in the depths of our lives, you have given so much to us. In the moments of our weakness, you are there In our sinfulness, you forgive. There is no question that you love us. So God, today, would you allow us to open our hearts deeper, more fuller, so that we can experience that love and then truly say back to you, I love you, Lord. I love you. I want to love you. I want to love you with my heart. I want to feel you. I want to desire you. I want to love you with my soul. I want to be so connected to you that we seem like we can't be apart from each other. I love you with my mind. I want to explore with you. Talk about my doubts and my trials. Lord, I want to love you with my strength, with my muchness, with, with what I do way it plays out in my life. God, I know I can't do this without you. I know we can't.
God, just help us to live the beautiful truth that we do love you, Lord.